Hello and welcome to Giant Mess, the super duper sloppy sports and entertainment talk show that covers Giants football, Mets baseball, movies, TV shows, and some comedy mixed in for good measure, some life lessons. It's hosted by a giant mess. That's me, the real cinch. Neil Lynch, I'm a former college quarterback and pitcher with a film and media studies degree. Graduated from a private research university that's known for producing doctors and lacrosse players. What happened there? What was I thinking? Big time misfire. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about my daughter's doctor's appointment. <laughs> Her kindergarten orientation. Her fifth birthday party. Her first day of school. Seeing Bluey live and in the flesh, in the fur, at the NJ Pack in Newark. And then we'll talk about the Giants. We're going to break down the 30-12 to 12 loss to the San Francisco 49ers on Thursday Night Football. No Saquon Barkley, no Andrew Thomas. Uh, was there was all hope lost? Pretty much. Did it go as expected? Eventually. But we hung in there. And so we're going to break it down. We're going to recap that. And then we're going to preview the upcoming Monday Night Football game against the Seattle Seahawks. I uh, bet the NFL schedule makers are definitely regretting putting the, the G-Men in so many primetime games this season. <laughs> the ratings, not so great. And then we'll finish up this, this year pod, this app with some Mets talk. The Metros have been officially eliminated from postseason contention. So we'll, uh, it's going to be a semi-moratorium on the 2023 season. There's still six or seven games left. Who knows what happens in those six or seven games to change our minds. But I, th- I think we can, we can pinpoint pretty much where it went wrong, where it went right. Bright spots for 2024. One of those being David Stearns will be hired as the president of baseball operations. We'll take a look at his best moves and worst moves in that role and see how that might translate to how he'll run things with, with, the, with the amazings. So without further ado, let's get this freaking started up in here, okay? So I haven't talked about life in a long time. It's been a, a dog's age, a month, I think, around there. Uh, I left you guys off probably right before Labor Day. And what? A jam-packed Labor Day weekend it was. Uh, I, some error, errors and omissions. First off, foremost, got to get those out of the way because I forgot something. I forgot to tell you the last time we talked about life. You know, I'm going through all these tests on my heart, you know, because I'm concerned. You know, I want to stick around on this planet as much as it seems that I want out <laughs> and I want to be done. Uh, I do want to try and live as long as possible, possibly forever. So a lot of heart tests. And what I forgot to mention was after all these heart tests, being so concerned about the health of my heart, right after getting a scan, ultra uh, MRI scan, where you sit in the thing and you go in the thing, the tube. After all that, being so concerned about my heart, I then went to a place called Captain Paul's Firehouse Hot Dogs, which right there and then tells you that was a wrong choice. They say that eating one hot dog is the equivalent of smoking 80,000 cigarette packs at once in the middle of uh, downtown LA where there's smog. Uh, And I ordered a sandwich called the paramedic and, uh, and I proceeded to eat pizza almost every day for that entire week (laughs) up to that. (coughs) So yeah, hypocrite much. Yeah, pretty much. It's like I'm so concerned about my heart, but yet I'm willing to just throw all kinds of like 
<laughs> bullshit at it. Like, here, can you handle this? Word is that you're healthy. Let's see how healthy you are. So, I don't know. It was touch, you know, I don't want to say touch and go, but it was it was a little nerve-wracking to not have heard anything after all these tests. And then you go in for the stress test, and uh, the doctor was like, uh, yeah, you passed with flying colors. And I'm like, flying colors? Because I was walking, and I could barely keep up with the treadmill. But good to know that the heart, the ticker, still pumping strong. I still have my doubts, but <laughs> hopefully... Uh, you know, if I say my prayers, eat my vitamins, everything will turn out right. But the paramedic, ordering the paramedic after having all these heart tests, I'm so concerned about my heart. And the paramedic, I'm trying to think about what the, was in the paramedic. It's been so long. Um, but it was like one of those fat, uh, fat sandwiches that you would get at the grease truck at Rutgers. I didn't go to Rutgers. I had a, plenty of friends that went to Rutgers. I visited Rutgers. I went to the fat trucks food trucks or whatever. And um, they like to layer their sandies with a lot of shit. A lot of stuff that usually would be eaten separately, you know, like course wise or just sidewise. And they're just like, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with this. Hey, let's just fucking pack all that shit into one sandwich. It's going to go in the same place, right? Um, so that's, that's what this paramedic was. Let me see if I can find it on the menu real quick. Probably should have wrote it down. No big deal. And they don't have it online. Cool. Well, it's basically like <laughs> chicken, like buffalo chicken tenders with mozzarella sticks, fries, meatballs, maybe one other thing. So yeah, just all the things that your heart craves and needs. So so vital to your heart health. I put it all in one sandwich. And I said, here you go, heart. Godspeed. So, uh, yeah, that's the, should give you some insight as to who I am, who, who's I am as an individual. Uh, not, not, I don't, you know, I'm an overthinker, but yet it's like, I'm also all over the place. Some would say a giant mess. So, uh, I had to take off that Thursday before Labor Day weekend because there's too much shit going on. You know, uh, Brielle had a doctor's appointment. My daughter had a doctor's appointment that morning. She was supposed to have a doctor's appointment the previous week. Her mother couldn't come through on that, was late to the appointment. And so they wouldn't see her. She was like, what, five, 10 minutes late? And they're like, no, we don't want your business. No. Uh, if you want to hear my rants about doctor's offices, medical institutions, things of that nature, and how they're just, they've just gone completely to shit. I don't know if that's like, uh, I'm just getting older and I'm starting to wise up to this kind of stuff. And like, I'm going to the doctor more, so I'm starting to notice it more. But uh, you can check the rant from August about all that shit. How like, it's just, it's for such an industry that, uh, yeah, I can't go into it right now. <laughs> but so yeah, she was late to the appointment the previous week by like five, 10 minutes. And they were like, you're gonna have to come back. You know, and it's like, how many times has the doctor made you wait five to 10 minutes or more? Hmm? And you're going to tell me that's on the patients, the other patients? Uh, I don't know. So I did, I did take a personal day, day that day, doctor's appointment. I'm thinking it's going to be pretty much status quo, standard procedure, nothing really to worry about. We're going to go in, get out. We just need to get paperwork done because kindergarten starts on Tuesday. It's now Thursday before the first day of school. She's not officially enrolled. Like we did everything that we need to do enroll except get this 
much needed medical paperwork over to them. So let's get this medical paperwork. It's paperwork. Come on. You push some papers, you sharpen some pencils, you dip your pen in some ink. Like it shouldn't be that big a deal. And my daughter was on high alert. She was like, I, I don't, I don't particularly like going to the doctor because it seems like every time I go to the doctor, I'm getting a needle shoved in my arm and it hurts, daddy. It hurts. So no, thank you. And I was like, I, I don't even know if you need shots. You probably don't need shots. Okay. And like, I'm pulling together her, her past medical history or whatever. And I'm like, Oh, it looks like she has a ton of shots. And I didn't think to look at the year where it's like empty and it's like, that usually indicates you need it. So I was not playing, paying close attention to that. She's like, do I need a shot? Do I need a shot? Do I? I'm like, maybe, I don't know. Probably not. Probably not. Don't worry about it. And then uh, I talked to the doctor. Doctor's asking my daughter questions. She doesn't know anything. She doesn't remember this morning, yesterday, anything. What have you been doing this summer? I don't know. What's your favorite animal? She literally pulled a brick tamland from uh, legend uh, Anchorman. Okay. The legend of Ron Burgundy. Literally pulled a brick tamlin, looked at a poster of a penguin on the wall, and said, penguin. That's just where she's at mentally right now. It's just like, you don't want to hurt yourself too much thinking at that age. You know, you need to save your brain power for later on. So, uh, yeah, not giving the doctor any good answers. And the doctor's like, you need to eat earth food and not processed foods. Earth food, meaning things from the earth that have not been touched by man or processed by man. I'm like, Oh, okay. This is hardcore. I don't know. I don't think my daughter's ready for this talk. And, uh, so the doctor's like, so what do you eat? And she's like, macaroni and cheese and chicken nuggets, the most processed foods in the world. <laughs> so doctor was not happy about that. But ever since then, Brie, my daughter has been asking me like, is this earth food? And I have to laugh. Cause it's like, well, I mean, Technically, all food is from Earth. <laughs> we don't have any, uh, you know, Jupiter food up in this bitch yet. It's also funny that she's been getting into space a lot lately. Like, I got her for her birthday, I got a, her a cat in the hat book called There's No Place Like Space. And it goes that apparently there are eight planets. I didn't realize that. When I was a kid, there were nine. Pluto was, was up in this. He was part of the crew. And I guess that Pluto had a falling out with the rest of the crew, the squad. They're like, listen, we're just, we don't really consider you a part of the group, okay? So like, piss off. So I guess Pluto, no longer a planet. So there's eight planets now. And so it goes through all different planets. And so I, I always thought that the planet that begins with the letter U was pronounced Uranus. Plenty of jokes have been made about this planet. And I guess the joke, the planet had had enough and maybe wrote a petition, like a letter to someone. It was like, hey guys, uh, not to be that guy, that planet, but it's actually Uranus, not Uranus. So I get it, man. It sucks to have your name misspelled, mispronounced. I've been a victim of that plenty of times. So Uranus, you're okay in my book. I will refrain for making the joke, okay? You've suffered long enough. Uh, so, <clears throat> uh, and I didn't figure that out, that it was pronounced Uranus until we watched the Blippi special. It was an hour-long Blippi special. Live. Recorded live. 
on a stage and they went, they had a whole segment on space and he kept, he said Uranus. And I was like, what is he saying? What's that? Come again. So, you know, earth food. That's what my, my daughter needs. And that's what uh, she's not getting. <laughs> and then the doctor was like, all right, well, uh, she needs four shots. And I'm like, Oh my God, that has to be the maximum number of shots you can give a kid. That has to be as many shots as you can give a child. That you can't give them more than that, can you? Four shots. And uh, it sent my daughter into a severe spiral that she uh, managed to mask for a good five, 10 minutes was like trying to play it cool like oh you know <laughs> oh four shots like you didn't say anything about four shots you didn't you said maybe you said probably not like remember you said probably not on the shots four shot four shots and so the doctor's like but don't worry we have a person that administers the shots she's great she's great and i'm like okay and I, immediately my head goes to uh that that viral video of the doctor who has the baby and the baby needs shots and he does like this little song and dance number where he's like tapping on her, tapping uh, the baby's knee, then the sh elbow and the shoulder and the head, sometimes with the finger, sometimes with the needle, just like just touching, not poking, but touching. And I guess to like train the baby to get used to the the poke. And then he, he like delivered these shots and the baby did not have any idea that he that the baby got shots. Baby didn't know that baby got shots. So I'm picturing that. Like in my head, that's the OG. That's the top dog amongst shot administration folks. The ones that can give shots and it's not painful at all. Like, and that's what I'm picturing and expecting when this person walks the door. She walks in, says maybe two words, and it's just like, dunk, 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 dunk. Just right one right after the other tried to apply band like uh, meanwhile she's like hold her down i think those were the two or three words she said was like hold her down and immediately my daughter's freaking out like hold me down hold me down uh hold me down Montana dancer so i'm holding her and boom 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 and she applies the band-aids and the band-aids not even close to going over where the shot was <laughs> And then the band-aids became a huge, and my daughter cried and wailed for the next five, 10 minutes. And I was just like, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. It's not going to hurt forever. It only hurts right now. You know, because leading up to that, I'm like singing her songs, you know, Five Little Ducks, little ABCs. Like I'm just anything to get her mind off of the fact that she's about to have four needles <laughs> in her arm. And... So yeah, she was wailing and crying and she looked at me differently. I think our relationship changed that morning for sure. She no longer looked at me as a trusted ally or a reliable source of uh, love and, and care. She looked at me as the enemy. Straight up, I was a foe that morning. And then the Band-Aids, she refused to take off for so long, like at least a week after she's like, I, every time I'd go, Hey, let's go let's take these band-aids off. Like first, first of all, the band-aids are not even covering like the spot where you got the shot. So they're not even really doing anything. They're just stuck to you. And she just, uh, was, uh, nope. Like, and it's, it's, I have to blame that morning. 
on the fact that she like would not trust me that the Band-Aid removal process could be painless if we did some things. Like there's an olive oil hack that you can do where you can rub olive oil on the friggin' thing and it loosens it up and it comes off nice and easy, doesn't rip. I showed her a YouTube video with like this mom doing it to her kids. Like one kid didn't have the hack, the other kid had the hack, the one kid that didn't have the hack, pain, the one that did have the hack, no pain. Showed that to her and I'm like, that's gotta seal the deal. Nope. Refused. And so I started Googling, like, how long can you actually keep a Band-Aid on for before <laughs> you get gangrene or uh, the plague? But, uh, you know, eventually they all came off. But, man, that was a long ride. We had our – so later that day, we had kindergarten in orientation. So this is a big day. Huge, like, getting all your vaccinations, four shots. I think it was, like, me- measles, mumps, rubella, chicken pox, polio which I think is making a comeback and then uh D tap or something like that. And I was just like, oh, man. And then I'm worried about like giving her the COVID-19 vaccine. <laughs> it's like, there's so many vaccines circulating through her body already. Yeah. Not even five. Uh, so she had kindergarten orientation that day at the new school, not close to me, other school that she was going to right down the road, literally two, four minute drive tops in and out. No problem. No big deal. This is like, can be a 25 minute drive with traffic and it is the worst. And the first two weeks I was doing it, I, 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 I damn near lost my head several times because they, the city town of Princeton municipality, Princeton, they decided that, uh, they either decided this or it was just extremely unfortunate timing i'm really hoping it's unfortunate timing because i'm hoping that our our officials are a little smarter than what this that what i'm uh conspiracy brain thinks which is they decided to pick the worst possible time to fix a bridge a very important main bridge that connects one area of princeton to another that a lot of people go through and use they're gonna like shut it down for construction like the first week of school dude couldn't have done this last week, the week before, the week before that, any point in the summer. Because summer in Princeton, it's not like hopping, dude. You know, you can pretty much do what you want during that time. So it makes me think that it must have happened like literally Labor Day weekend for them to like then shut it down. And like the alternative routes are just, it's fucking, it's a conga line of cars. So it's uh, it takes a while for me to get there, which is... uh sucks because there's so much traffic on route one there's that stupid jug handle that always infuriates me and uh yes let's fix that bridge let's get that bridge up and running kindergarten orientation she i could tell she was nervous because she was rubbing her stuffed animal's arm how that arm is still intact i don't know the arm has been rubbed to from here to kingdom come so get there a little confusing at first. No, no parking, of course. Why would there be parking? So park, get there just in time, in the nick of time. And uh, her, this girl that she went on a play date with at the Giggleberry Fair, has had sports practice with, comes up and is and sees that my daughter's nervous and tries her damnedest to help her out. Like, you know, it's okay, Brielle, I'm here. Like trying to hold her arm. And Brielle is like a lamprey on a shark. She is just permanently attached to my body. 
Like it was Velcro, the strongest Velcro you could ever imagine. I could not get her off of me. I was just like, had to try to peel her off. I got a crowbar. She just would not, she was, she was like, nope. And her friend was trying to help her out, not happening. And of course the teacher's assistant comes over and her friend is like, this is my best friend. Like everyone's a best friend at that age. Everyone. They, my daughter has had best friends. She has met like or hung out with her for like 10 minutes, five minutes, doesn't know their name. We'll get to that in a little bit. And so that was that was tough to kind of, you know, because it's, uh, I don't know. I can't imagine what was going through her little tiny brain, but uh, she loves it, you know. Spoiler alert, she actually loves it. So I think it all worked out for the best. But they had the parents go over to the, the auditorium and they had to introduce us to the principal who's quite the character. Uh, I'm not your normal principal, okay? I'm a hip, cool principal. <laughs> it's like it's, it's it's exactly like uh, Amy Poehler in Mean Girls. Like I'm not I'm I'm a cool hip mom. Like that was this principal. <laughs> like all right, cool, yeah. I guess better than being a stick in the mud. So I'll take it. And then they introduced the two parents that are uh, co-head the PTO, and I was like, I could never do what you do. Like your energy levels, your positivity, how do you, where do you summon that from? It feels like such a chore and it feels like uh, such heavy lifting to, to have that kind of behavior and attitude. To be chipper and be all smiles all the time. How do you do it? I can't do it. <laughs> uh, you know, the librarian, the nurse, we got all, all the intros out of the way. Met her teacher who is so awesome. <laughs> like, it's like the perfect teacher. Uh, it makes me think that there's like a really dark side, you know, that we <laughs> might come out at the wrong time, but hopefully it's after my daughter graduates from her class. Um, but just an awesome teacher. So it was, it was a good orientation. You know, they got to go out and uh, we got to do the tour. We got a tour of the place. And... Uh, Seems like a cool school. She got after like an hour, two hours, got to meet up with her again at the playground. She played around with a bunch of kids, met some parents, all good in the hood. So kindergarten orientation, check. So uh, her birthday is the same day as the first day of school, which was a Tuesday. So we decided we're going to do a little something different. We're going to, I mean, not something different. We're going to, we're going to collabo. Me and the mom are going to collabo and throw a joint birthday party. We're going to, not joint, just a birthday party. We're both going to be there. And uh, we decided to have it the same place that my my uh, that her mother decided to have it last year at the community pool. I've never been to this community pool. I don't know what it's like. I don't know the layout. But I was like, all right, sounds good. You did it last year. You didn't invite me. No big deal. Not a problem. Uh, but you said last year was a success. Not many people showed up. So let's just do that again. Should we invite the class? Yeah, let's invite the class. It's Labor Day weekend. Who the hell is going to show up? No one. Everyone showed up. <laughs> it was like 50 plus people for a five-year-old's birthday party. Five-year birthday party, fifth birthday party. Uh, a lot of people. And, uh, and then we both drastically overestimated how much 50 people would drink and eat, not remembering that half of that number probably is just little ones who don't have the same stomach capacity as some of us more big, bigger gutted folk. 
So, uh, yeah, I spent so much goddamn money on drinks and food that uh, is still in my fridge to this point, to this day. Just like all kinds of bad drinks and foods that I, I constantly say, no, no, thank you. Can't have that. Um, and it, it was it was a good birthday party. I mean, I, I'm sure she had fun. I didn't take a ton of photos or videos. Uh, what sucked was, um, well, trying to trying to like I went out and bought a new cooler specifically for this party, but also because I needed one. So I got the big ass cooler, the one that's like basically the width of my trunk in my car. And I figure 50 people that probably there's going to it's going to be two hours, maybe three hours long. Each person probably will have three drinks. It's 150 drinks. That sounds about right. And I got even got the mini sodas, not even like the full blown sodas, mini sodas, Capri Suns, waters. I figured that's got to be enough. And sure enough, it was more, way more than enough. And even the snacks that I got, too much. My the her mom, my daughter's mother, <laughs> like pizzas and subs and all this, and it's just like. No, no, not even a dent. Uh, but what stunk specifically is like, well, first of all, trying to carry a, uh, uh, I made the mistake of taking the cooler out of the car and putting it on the ground and then filling it with ice and all the drinks. And then I was like, oh, snap, I can't, I have no strength because I'm a weakling. I cannot deadlift, like clean and jerk this hiakula into my trunk. <laughs> so I had to flag down and hunt down like another uh a guy um with his English English as a second language father to help me put the put the cooler into the car. Sweating my balls off. Spent so much money trying to track all this stuff down for for what? No one wanted it. <laughs> go go to the community pool and then it's like, you know, uh, my ex is running around doing her own thing. And so I now have to, I somehow get the cooler down from the car trunk cause it's elevated. And then I have to then carry this thing. Like, cause I parked in like the, the, the parking lot was full. You paved paradise to put in a parking lot, but you didn't put enough spaces in the parking lot. So I parked way at the end, all the way away from the entrance of the pool. And I had to drag the, and I had to wheel this thing. Luckily, it had wheels, thank God. Wheeled it almost to the entrance, and then finally uh, a very helpful father was like, I know the struggle, and you need help. I'm going to give you help. And so he helped me for the last remaining part. But so the reserved area that we had was like a bunch of picnic tables, but they're so far removed from the pool. So like the kids want to go in the pool, so they're probably most likely just in the pool the whole time. And we just have this huge reserved area that no one's in that, because they're with their kids at the pool. So like, you know, whatever. A uh, bit awk, bit awkward. Um, cause I knew I was dreading the party a little bit. Cause I was like, this is going to be the first time I'm going to see the in-laws, the ex in-laws, excuse me, since the split. Uh, I have not seen them in damn near three years. Most of them. Three, it's been you know, two, three years where I just have not seen them, you know, because, uh, yeah, well, you you know. If you've listened to the podcast, you know why. <coughs> uh, and so the one, her mom and her mom's side walks in. 
Uh, I'm setting up. I'm busy. So I'm just going to continue to act busy. So I don't have to stop and say hi. I guess I normally would have tried to stop and say hi, but I was just like, I'm just going to keep going. And like, and then when I walked by them to get something to finish setting up, I just said, Hey guys. And they were like, Hey, it's like, all right, that's, that seems about right. <laughs> Her father is a talker and, uh, he just, he just seems to always have this, like, I don't know, not bubbly, but just like, uh, bad stuff doesn't seem to phase him. Like I'm sure the mom, the mom's side, they were like hanging on to some stuff and they were pissed. The dad is just like not oblivious, but he just chooses not to like get that down. Like he'll complain about stuff, but he's not like, he showed up with a smile. He's like shaking my hand and he's like, he's chatting me up. And I'm just like, do you, did anyone tell you where your daughter and I got divorced? Did anyone like re did you get the memo about the divorce? Like we're divorced. You don't have to talk to me. <laughs> so but that was fine. And then uh, you know, spent some time in the pool. Had this happen in the pool, swimming around, minding my own business with my daughter. My daughter swims up to me with her friend. Her friend goes, You have yellow teeth. Period. End of story. And I go, I it takes me a moment because it's a shock to the system. To be for ha to have a kid, no filter, raw, in your face, tell you, cut you deep like that. It takes a moment. You, you're gonna stagger. You don't know what you you can plan and research and train until you get punched in the face. And it's like, how do you respond to that? So it took me a moment to gather myself. And then I said, Well, you know, I do drink a lot of coffee without a beat, without without skipping a beat. Not even a second millisecond of silence from this woman from this from this little girl she goes my daddy drinks coffee and his teeth aren't yellow and swims off no rebuttal for me no response couldn't do it she immediately swam off swam off yeah swam off so now i now i've got a complex about it and i have immediately started googling like how to straighten and whiten your teeth and like the quickest way cheapest ways the best ways <laughs> did i follow through on any of it no but the intent was there and uh, she did, my daughter did have two meltdowns. I, th I think, you know, she figures it's her party and everyone should do what she says. Power trip, bridezilla type stuff, which is great to know and to hear. But apparently she broke down one time because uh, they were playing, she wanted everyone to play follow the leader and she was the leader. And uh, I think the, the, there was a coup of some sort, a revolt. And then the kids were like, no, nah, fuck no, dude. The, get, no, no. Sorry. Uh, resist. We resist. We do not obey. So she broke down about that. And I, you know, her, her mother comes over and is like, can you please handle this? And I'm like, yes, I'd be glad to, because what is the alternative here? Talk to your, talk to your side of the family. <laughs> like, I don't have, I'm not really, you know, I'm not, I'm like, I'm friendly with a lot of the other parents, but I'm, I don't have a close relationship with them. Um, so I'm like, I I'll take as long as I need to, 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 get, to, to calm her down and get her back to, uh, homeostasis. No, that's not a word. It is a word. Does it apply? No. So I calmed her down and I basically just eventually hugged her. I was like, I was like, eventually that's how you solve it. Most of the time, I think is like, do you need a hug? Let me give you a hug. And it's usually that will help cure what ails you. So uh, you know, give her a nice long hug, sway back and forth, and she was came down. 
And it felt like five minutes later, <laughs> full full meltdown mode again, where it's like she's got this thing going on, got this game going on that I guess she introduced, and like and and like the kids were following her for a little bit, and then they went off on their own tangent as kids are wont to do, and boom, meltdown mode. Um, this one kid uh, was frothing at the mouth. He looked like a rabid dog. I'll just I'll just put that out there. <laughs> I'm just like, whoa, you are you're slobbering like a basset hound. My man. Can't wait to see what you grew up to be. Um so yeah, that was that was the birthday party. Ultimately a success, I guess. I don't think we should have another birthday party there at the community pool. It just feels like there's better I like I like the outdoor aspect of it, but the picnic tables being too far from the pool. It also is a very large area like a large pool a lot of territory real estate space acreage and so that kind of uh can lead to some problems so i don't think we're going to be doing it there again we got to figure it out for next year but uh ultimately eh, it wasn't that bad you know wasn't that bad i was dreading it i gotta stop dreading you know judge dread club dread what is that what is that what does that get you Certainly not an Oscar. Uh, and then the, it was the first day of school. Same day as, uh, as her birthday. And uh, I was not able to drop her off at school. I had to go in the office, so her mom did it. But we got together for a nice birthday dinner at Tommy's Tavern, which we had her birthday dinner there last year as a family, quote-unquote family. <laughs> um, and I, di- I didn't understand why we're doing it at Tommy's last year. And I didn't understand what we're doing at Tommy's this year, but her mother said that, uh, our daughter, it's her favorite restaurant. You probably, I think it's a chain. I don't think there are many in the chain, but this place is like upscale sports bar, lots of TVs. And I see a lot of like, most likely teachers, you know, just got out of work at happy hour there. Pounding drinks at the bar, a lot of dates, not a lot of families, not a lot of kids. So, uh, my daughter is mature as fuck, as I, I guess is what I'm trying to get at <laughs> for appreciating and loving uh, such an upscale adult establishment. I don't know. I don't think Brie actually does like it. I don't think my daughter actually likes it. I think it's like, I think uh, I don't know what I don't know what to think because it's uh, it's not. Not a reasonably priced place joint. That's for damn sure. Like two shrimp tacos for like 20 some odd bucks. What are we doing? Anyway. So, but you know, my daughter loves that shit because mommy and daddy are there. That's all she wants. And she can't have it all the time. So we're trying to do make more of an effort to get together more, the three of us. You know, because prior, you know, according to the agreement that we have, it's like twice a year, (laughs) which is... And then you see what happens like at her pre-K graduation, at her orientation, at her birthday party. She just eats it up. She can't get enough of it. So, and she, and she keeps asking me like, so when are you going to like move back in with mommy? And when is that happening? Is that October or am I getting the, am I getting the month wrong? No, we're never, ever, ever getting back together. We Swifties in the house. Uh, see that first day of school, uh, I guess went off with without that much of a hitch, um, and then the birthday dinner at Tommy's, which 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 went fairly well, I think, all things considered, you know, 
Um, she got like to have, they didn't have cake, birthday cake, which is weird because they're such a family friendly establishment that they must have so many kids birthday parties there that you would think they would like have cake anyway. Uh, <laughs> so she had like a chip witch with a candle in it and I think she enjoyed that, but. Um, she does, uh, have to go into this after school program before school program type thing. And so I picked her up from that. And like, I think it was like the first or second time that I picked her up and she's like nowhere to be found. And I'm just standing there and I'm like, any idea where my kids, my kid is like, Oh, they went to the restroom. I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. She usually has to go around this time. And then, uh, another worker comes up to me and is like, Hey, uh, who are you here for? And I was like, Brielle. And she goes, Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So she was drinking out of her water bottle and dropped it and it cut her lip. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm trying to picture that. And, uh, I gotta be honest, not, it's not coming in very clear, not very HD 4k going on with that kind of visualization. So, uh, First and foremost, like you should know, my daughter's water bottle, I didn't purchase it. It's aluminum, so I don't think it can break, but it is bedazzled. It is covered in like fake gems, gem art, if you will, all over the place. And so I finally, I think I finally put two and, to two and together and I was like, well, there's no way it like, because if it was a glass bottle... Okay, or like a plastic bottle, maybe that even that could break and then it, like she didn't see the shard and the shard cut her lip when she drank it. But no, it's the goddamn fake gems that are all over all over this stupid water bottle that I did not get. Um, I won't say who did, but I didn't get it. So that she I saw her walking back, you know, from like what looked like the principal's office with like a big ice wrapped in paper towel on her lip. <laughs> like Oh, great. So, and that night was the, that day was the fall picnic. So it's like, I'm picking her up and we're going directly outside and boom, that's the fall picnic that the PTO's putting together. And she walks out and she's got like ice on her lip. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I was kind of looking forward to this picnic and I don't think this is going to happen. There's like, knowing her, she's going to be like, Hey, I'm in a dire straits here. We need to get home ASAP, put on some bluey. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, the, they don't, they also didn't let us know like where the kids would be. So like trying to pick her up before six o'clock when they end and not knowing where to go, like literally going to the main entrance, seeing a sign, press the white button and don't press it more than once. Someone will come and get you. So guess how long this idiot stood there after pressing the button once. <laughs> Way too long is the answer. So finally, I, I I walked by this one room that looks like there was a bunch of kids in it with a caretaker, and I'm like kind of hovering, and she comes out and she's like, "Can I help you?" Like, um, fully expecting a, a homicidal pedophiliac. Um, and I was just like, "Hey, I'm just trying to find this program. Do you have any idea?" She's like, "Oh yeah, you got to go around to the back." All right. By the basketball court. All right, cool. Then it's locked. And then eventually, like a couple days later, I needed a code. I was just like, this doesn't feel like uh, you look. I mean, 
I wish I had the one sheet. They have a sales sheet, a one sheet that looks legit. It's like professionally done, colorful, informative, makes it sound like it's the best program on earth. Like we're going to do this and this and this. And I walk in and she's just like sitting there with her book bag and her water bottle. Like, oh, you're here. Thank God. (laughs) So uh, I don't know if, you know, and then lo and behold, so this after school program, before school program as well, which I had seemed so like awesome and was like amazingly affordable. Uh, the school hired them like a week or two before the school season started, school year started. And we're now three weeks in, four weeks in, and the school has terminated their contract with the <laughs> after school programs. Like, oh my God. Like, my, you know, Bree's mother my ex uh, had some qualms, some concerns about how they leave the gate open. You know, the fence gate is open uh, when, when, and they're playing outside. So that probably shouldn't happen because they might run out into the traffic or the parking lot. I don't know. I wasn't as concerned about it. Cause every time I had gone to pick her up, she was behind a locked door. So I was like, okay, well can't get out. Right. Uh, maybe not. So, uh, and then, uh, <laughs> They terminated the contract like less than a month into the school year. So now there's going to be a committee with parents to pick the next program. And, uh, you know, I'm just like, is the program even worth it? Like, is it, is it just better for me to go? Cause I work from home when I have her the days I have her. So like, should you just go at like two o'clock and pick her up when school gets out and bring her back? And then she just, I don't know, uh, do something here where she's not in peril. <laughs> So, uh, but that fall picnic was a cool idea. I was looking forward to it, but as what, as what happens in most of those situations where I don't know anybody, I get crippling anxiety and I just kind of wander around looking, looking pissed, even though I'm not pissed. I'm just scared and alone. (laughs) Just like, just like, who do I talk to? I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not a butterfly when it comes to that kind of stuff where like walking up to parents and be like, Hey, how's it going? Oh, who's your kid? What's your name? My kids. Like I just, it's just not, not really in my DNA. So, uh, that was kind of awkward because it was basically me just chasing Brie around because Brie is new to the school, even though she has this friend, I don't, the friend was there. Um, and she, her bunch of her classmates were there, but she wasn't particularly interested in hanging out with her classmates. Instead, she would just glom on to older girls, packs of older girls, random packs of older girls. She would glom onto them and want to be part of their, their, their squad. And there was one group of girls that was just like, could not get away from her. <laughs> like they were trying their best to be politely like skirting her and like avoiding her and trying to get away from her. And Brie was just like, like could not be shook like white on rice. Uh, eventually they, they gave up and she got bored and went and glommed onto another group of girls that was way too welcoming and warm to her (laughs) where it's like, whoa, like you guys are hugging and holding hands and you even know her name. What is going on here? So there was a lot of that, like just following her and chasing her as she's going on, going with these random older girls. And I'm just like, oh boy. And then eventually she makes her way to this teacher. And hugs her 
And I figured, oh, she knows this teacher. It's a teacher she's been introduced to. It's not her kindergarten teacher, but maybe she's been introduced to this teacher through XYZ, blah, blah, blah. She knows her. The teacher does not hug back, arms out, and is like, I'm a stranger. You don't know me. Do you hug strangers? Like that kind of tone, like get the fuck off me. <laughs> and I was just like, uh, oh, okay. And then I think she, then she went, I think she went to teacher mode and she's like, uh, I'll shake your hand, but you have to, you get to know me. Who are you? Like, who, what is your name? Who are you? Do you know my name? So I, I felt really, I, I felt embarrassed and ashamed about that. Cause I was just like, I don't want to be this helicopter parent. It's like constantly like, no, 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 no. And stay, no, 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 no. I kind of want to let her explore a little bit, give her some, you know, slack and let her run and do some stuff and let have her learn some stuff on her own. I don't want to be this like overbearing, hovering over her all the time. But I was ashamed and embarrassed because it was like, I was always tra trailing her. I was never like five steps away. I was always like 10, 15 or more steps away because she's just booking. She's just running around the, the playground. This huge open space running around. And I'm like, do I really want to be that parent who's like running after the kid? Like, I'll just briskly walk after her. <laughs> so the teacher is like, you know, uh, Vamos, you know, check yourself, please. So, uh, and then I, I just kind of sauntered up, like kind of head down. I was like, yeah, sorry about that. And just kind of like moseyed on like, oh my God. Can't wait to have you, have you be her teacher in three years, four years, whatever it is, third grade. That'll be fun. Uh, but so far, so good with school. So we uh, we ended up... As part of an, an additional gift, I got her a bunch of gifts for her birthday that I think she likes. But I also got her tickets to see Bluey live at the NJ Pack in Newark. Um, never again. That's pretty much the review. <laughs> never again. I don't, uh, with a child. Like, I, I'm fine going by myself to the New Jersey Performing Arts Center in Newark. That's fine, but never with a child again. The train, we, I made the mistake of taking the train because I was like, parking is going to be out the wazoo. It's probably going to be expensive. It's going to be hard to find, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, and we'll just take the train. It just goes right there. You know, we'll take it. And of course, train was late by like half an hour. And so we were then late to the show, about 5, 10, maybe 15 minutes. About five minutes in, not even. She's like, I want food. I want water. And I'm like, this is... Why I wanted you to eat all your breakfast and your lunch, dude. This right here. So uh, we go down to the concession stand. Oh, concession stand is closed. Seems like a missed opportunity. Why not just keep the concessions open for the length of the show? Even after the show, because someone might want something on their way out of the show. So we there's like this in-house restaurant there at the Performing Arts Center. And so we went to the bar and the, the guy was like, what are you doing with this kid? What is this kid? Let me see some ID. So he pours our water with a top and a straw. We go back and this show is supposed to be an hour. I think it was maybe 45 minutes, 50 minutes. And yeah, I know 10, 15 minutes, not a big deal, but it's like an hour. The tickets kind of cost a lot. We were sitting in tier four, which is the highest tier in that arena, in that uh, venue. And it is literally a bird's eye view. 
Like you are like we were looking down on the stage. <laughs> like I could see uh, you know, I could see yarmulkes, I could see uh the full yarmulke. Um, and I don't know why I thought this. First of all, the, you couldn't see because everyone in that tier that was in front of us was pushed to the edge of their seat and like straight up so that they could see over the person in front of them who could see in front of the person over them, blah, blah, blah. You would think that being that high, they would have figured out a way, no dice. So Bree's like standing up and trying to like maneuver around these people so she can see anything. I'm just like, I don't need to see anything, but this sucks for her. So eventually I think people started to calm down and would like lean back in their seats, which allowed us to see. And I'll tell you this, I don't know what I was thinking, what I was expecting, why I thought this. I thought it would be people inside bluey costumes. Is that weird? Like I thought there would be like, like a football mascot, a sports mascot, a baseball mascot. There's a person inside there. You know, you go to Sesame Place, there's a, there's a teenage girl in that Cookie Monster costume that you're kicking <laughs> in the ribs. Uh, that was a callback to a previous episode when I talked about the Cookie Monster getting, getting its ass beat by a, a pissed off dad. Anyway, I was expecting that at Bluey Live. I was thinking, okay, you know, they have the pre-recorded voices. They can have the person moving it inside the costume, but it's going to be people inside costumes. And yeah, I get it. Maybe you can't find, you don't want kids to be in Bluey and Bingo's costumes. Maybe you could find little people. Like that's a great employment opportunity for little people. Um, The height challenged, right? No, this was literally two, sometimes three people controlling the cost the the bluey and the characters like puppets like one's having this arm one's got the mouth one's got the other arm and i'm like ah wow this really kills it for me (laughs) i don't know like i know uh, you know i I, uh, trying to suspend my disbelief here not really working uh did not phase the kids so as long that's that's fine did not phase the kids but i remember looking and seeing i'm like uh, i don't is this really, this is the show? Um, but, you know, the, uh, the, everyone, when they sang the, the song, the intro song, everyone's singing. Um, when that friggin' the, the techno Furby or whatever that, that stuffed creature is, that every time it, they turn it on, it dances and techno music comes on, that got a big pop. So it was a decent show. It's just not an hour. But she had fun. And that's all that. That's all that counts. So, uh, I know she's hungry and I'm like, Hey, can you wait until we get home? It's going to be like an hour plus until we get home, but can you wait? Cause I don't really see a whole lot in this general vicinity in terms of like family friendly restaurants. She's like, no, I need to eat now. So I'm like, uh, okay. I Google family friendly restaurants. Uh, this restaurant pops up. It's called the yard. I'm like, Oh, that's cute. Such a white person response to the yard, a restaurant in Newark. And I thought it was going to be family friendly. That's on me. That's on me. So we go to the yard and it kind of looks like a, almost like a truck stop diner type place. It looks like kind of kitschy old school. I'm like, all right, this is my, this is going to work out. I can't believe I found this nice. And upon opening the door, I am smacked across the schnoz with hardcore graphic explicit rap lyrics like 
N-bombs, B-bombs, C-bombs, F-bombs galore. And it took me about, and I didn't want to be that white guy that walks in with his white daughter into a predominantly black restaurant and hear the lyrics and immediately walk out. I thought like, at least uh, maybe the song will change. Maybe they'll see us come in and be like, oh, and they'll change the music. So I was there for a good 30 seconds to a minute looking at the menu and I'm like, that ah, this is this is like <laughs> this is like out of what? No. So uh pulled her out of the yard, which I thought would be a family-friendly restaurant. <laughs> and uh did some Googling, some more, and it's like there is nothing in this area. Eventually we're like, I, I guess I'll go to the comedy diner, you know, whatever. So I go there, and this place was, I guess, technically open. But it must have been like the first hour that they've ever been open because they had like two people working the cashier, the cash register, and like no one else, and like maybe some people in the kitchen. And they and and I was we were the only customers in there, so they were like paying extra attention to us. And I was like, none of this makes sense. Am I supposed to sit down and you come to me and I order, or like from what I'm seeing, I order here and you take the food and you call my name and I pick it up. Like, what is the situation here? Did not get a clear answer. Um, ordered a hot dog for Brie. Came out. It was the world's largest hot dog. I mean, not kids hot dog, any hot dog. Like, and I'm not talking about a foot long where it's like this really silly looking hot dog, but like foot long version. I'm talking about girthy dude, big sausage pizza style. like. BBD, yeah, black style hot dog. Like this thing was thick and girthy, and I'm like, I'm like, uh, this is the this is the kids hot dog, and of course she didn't eat any of it and didn't eat any of the fries. <laughs> so, uh, I had to pack that up for the road, and she gets a free ice cream or they were gonna give her an ice cream, and I was about, I was about to leave because I was like, listen, she's just not having it. I don't. I don't know, like, we just need to get the hell out of Newark and get home. And so they're like, well, her ice cream. And they're like, all right, cool. And, and like, here's her ice cream. We don't have any spoons. And I was just like, that is just the cherry on top of this really ridiculous, weird, family-friendly restaurant Sunday. What the fuck is going on? You don't have a spoon. You're a restaurant. What's happening? No one else is in this restaurant. It's not like you're ultra busy and you went through all the spoons. There's no one else here, dude. I don't think are you, I don't think you're actually open. <laughs> I think you just saw like you're like, oh, this like white boy just wandered in with his kid. Let's just make some money real quick. Like no one has to know. Like the hot dog wasn't even in for them to select in the cash register. I I I think I got God. Anyway. Uh <laughs> So, um, yeah. And, uh, we walked back to the train station, which was like a 15 minute walk in the rain and I didn't bring an umbrella. So it'd be interesting to see what part of that story my daughter will latch onto for the rest of her life. Like what will become an imprinted in her brain? What will be the forever memory? I'm hoping it's bluey more so than the yard and comedy diner. Maybe. Um, so yeah, that was that. 
Uh, I'm not going to get into my trip to Philly or Sky Zone or the birthday party. I think that was enough life for one pod. So we're going we're gonna to quickly talk about the New York football giants. We're going to recap the 30-12 to 12 loss to the San Francisco 49ers in week three in Santa Clara, California on Thursday Night Football on uh, Prime Video. Uh, you know, I mean, expectations were not high, right? We're just like, hey, let's just hang in there. Let's just give it all our got. Let's do it for the Gipper. Saquon Barkley's hurt. Andrew Thomas is out. Ben Bredesen is out. Um, you know, the, the offensive line is decimated. And we had Josh Azudu, a guard starting a tackle yet again. Marcus McKeithen at guard. Glowinski benched. Shane Lemieux at left ta- left guard, who hasn't who started a bunch of games in 2020. Remember that year? <laughs> and um we actually hung around for I guess I, I in my head I was like, I think we're gonna hang around for a half and then we're gonna get blown out. Like maybe it'll be touch and go in the third quarter, but in the fourth quarter they're gonna pull away. And it kind of played out, kind of pl- rolled out that way. It played out that way. Um, you know, at one point in this game, we were down five in the third quarter, 17-12. And I thought, uh, you know, Al Mike is on is on the broadcast. Do you believe in miracles, dude? Because, you know, any given Sunday and all that crap. I mean, you you saw it this past week. I had a Mar- uh, Ravens, Jaguars, Moneyline Parlay. Lost that 0 for 2. Ravens losing to the Colts at home. And then the Jaguars losing to the freaking Texans by 20. Sure, why not? And then the Cardinals beating the Cowboys. The same Cardinals team that everyone and their mother has agreed in writing will tank and is in rebuild mode. Yet they have now played three of the hardest fought games and could actually be 3-0 right now. <laughs> like the ball bounces a different way in Washington. Same thing for the Giants game last week. Like they could be 3-0. Um, of course, you know, the Cowboys are missing uh, Trayvon Diggs, star quote-unquote cornerback. And so maybe that affected their ability to, to cover the pass, but it was really the run that did it in for, for Dallas. So, um, yeah, why not us was the mentality. Like 17-12, we, uh, we finally had something go our way. We, we pinned them down. Scottish Hammer pins them down in deep. We were able to get some stops, get a punt return that is close to their territory, you know, and put together uh, a nice little drive to – and punch it in with a run, and it's like, oh, holy shit, here we go. Um, but I uh, I ended up taking, because it was a night game, and I needed my beauty sleep. So I popped an edible, which was probably a, bad, a big mistake. Because I, I, I there was a period where I was like, are we playing good or no? Because we're in this game, but it doesn't feel like we're playing good at all. feels like there's a bunch of three and outs. feels like there's a bunch of uh, situations where a defense should probably get off the field and can't. But the score is 17-12. What's happening? Um, but, it, it, you know, a lot of the plays, it was just like, <laughs> it was just like multi- one or more of our offensive linemen was just getting destroyed like blown up like flying like they like a a grenade had gone off and they're just flying limbs everywhere that's how it looked on pretty much every offensive snap for the giants at one point 
Um, we were, yeah, we were crushed in pretty much all the major statistical categories, you know, allowed, uh, um, 441 total yards to 150, 141 rushing yards to 29, 300 passing yards to 121, 26 first downs to our 10. We had 20 minutes of time of possession. I mean, you know, we've lost 14 of our last 15 night games. So you had to figure. Now, that being said, I'm in a suicide pool, which I don't think, I don't even, I guess elimination pool is the more appropriate term. I'm in this elimination pool. And uh, I could have, a lot of people picked the 49ers. And I could have picked the 49ers. And I didn't. Because I thought, eh, something weird could happen here. It's a short week. They didn't have time to prepare. We didn't have time to prepare. Maybe we toss something unconventional at them. They don't know how to respond. We catch them off kilter, you know, whatever. So I did not pick the 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 49ers in my elimination pool. I ended up picking the Cowboys and the Chiefs because it was a double down week. And uh, of course the Cowboys lose. Screw you, Dallas. Um, so still have not scored a first half touchdown. Kind of bonkers. Uh, 150 total yards is our lowest total in 10 years when we put up 150 yards and a 38 loss to the Carolina Panthers in 2013. Again, I remember after the blowout loss, I made comparisons to that 2013 season, how it was completely shocking. And, uh, one of the, one of the worst, I mean, that first eight, nine game span was one of the worst, my worst times as a Giants fan. And I know like Lions and Browns and all kinds of other fans are like, oh, boo-hoo. Let me play this violin real quick. He's so tiny. Um, our 29 rushing yards is the lowest figure since we ran for 29 yards in the 2020 season against Pittsburgh in the opener September 14th when literally uh, Saquon just <sighs> could not find any daylight whatsoever. And yet we almost, we competed in that game and we almost won. That was the game where DJ puts together that long ass drive, so many plays, so many big conversions and big plays, and then throws a pick. Whoa. Our 121 passing yards were were not our lowest total of the season. We had 63 net passing to Dallas. Duh. Um, we finished the game with no more than 10 first downs. Last time that happened was in the 2021 season finale. Um in a loss to Washington. And if you don't remember that game, how could you not remember? That's when Joe Judge lined up for a QB sneak on third and on second and long and then third and long in uh inside our own 10. That was the nail in the coffin for Joe Judge. I was like, I think Mara saw that and was like, all right, yeah, we gotta fire him. The 20 minutes of uh, time possession is the lowest figure since our last game against San Francisco in in 2020 when we had the ball for uh, 20 minutes and 16 seconds. So the 2020 season also didn't get it off to the greatest of starts. That was a, that was a big time. I think that that game against the 49ers was like, Oh, okay. So this, this is the kind of team we are this year. (laughs) Got it. You know, and that's hard to shake. You know, you look at the 22 season, we were able to run the ball pretty effectively. And based off the fact that we could run the ball successfully, be productive in the run game and then open up play action and the passing game. And, you know, 
That's how we win games. We have not done that this year at all. At all. So that's kind of should give you a clue as to what your expectations should probably be for the rest of the season. Jones was two of seven on passes that traveled more than 10 yards in the air. And his completions traveled an average of 3.7 yards in the in the air. Yeah, I mean, um, we only attempted five play action passes. Jones was five for five for 30 yards. <laughs> so it 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 is a little befuddling, if I may say, that we just abandoned the run. And we did it against Dallas when we were down big. And we did it against San Francisco. Why are we abandoning the run? Continue to run. Mostly because, yes, Barkley's out, but you still have a pretty decent back in Matt Breida. Daniel Jones is a running back, can be a running back. Utilize him. And I think Fred Warner, the Niners linebacker, said as much. Like I, We were planning on them doing way more design scheme runs for, for Daniel Jones, and it just didn't happen. So knowing that, like... You had the figure that the Niners were going to know that Jones is a, a, a dual threat and that we scheme and design runs for him. Why not play off of that fake? This is a dumb example. Fake an option. You know, we had a play like that in high school. And yes, I'm using a reference to my high school football team <laughs> where, you know, you fake the option and you, uh, the handoff to the fullback, you take maybe a step or two down the line and then you back it up toss it something to, to that effect to just get the Niners to play a little more honest but nope so it wasn't Daniel Jones day that's for sure and I think it's at the point now where um you know last year he was getting the kind of protection uh good protection that so that when he did get pressured he didn't uh, get all discombobulated or frazzled and he would actually throw well under pressure because it wasn't, I mean, I guess it's not completely true. He was one of the most pressured quarterbacks in the NFL last year, <laughs> but it seems like in comparison to this year, like it was a walk in the park, like a cakewalk. It seems like he was behind like a, a fortress, you know, he was in, in the, in the castle, uh, well-protected moat and everything. That wasn't the case. He was actually one of the most pressured quarterbacks in the NFL last year. But it's even it's like two to three times worse this year. So that's like that's why the, I I feel like that comparison is not that statement that I made is not that far off. You know he did. You know it's just yeah he's I guess zero time to throw the ball, and and so then when he does get time to throw the ball, he thinks he doesn't have time, and so he'll. He he won't look downfield or her scramble or he'll throw it away or, you know, he won't make an accurate throw. He won't plant his foot and make an accurate throw. And that happened a couple times in that San Francisco game. You know, he missed a wide open Darren Waller. That would have been a first down extended drive. Um, He missed Waller a couple times. Uh, Miss Slayton. He missed a wide open Jalen Hyatt. So it's like, it just was not a great game for him. And I, and I honestly think it's because he is, it's like, he's fully expecting to have zero time to throw the ball. And so he thinks he has to make the quickest decision or immediately, immediately think that he has to escape. Essentially that's what's happening. And I think that's what's, 
You know, so even on a clean, when he has a clean pocket, he doesn't think he has a clean pocket. And so he doesn't like survey the field, plant his foot and throw. And so that's why he's inaccurate and he's off. Uh, and it sucks watching the film. And I, I guess you can't really see this in the heat of the moment, in the heat of uh, warfare. But damn, he had Jalen Hyatt so open. <laughs> it's like, why, why not, uh, you know, you're not, you, you think you're going to nickel and dime this defense and win. You're not. You got to take some shots and some chances. And, and like, it would just would have been nice to take one or two chances with Hyatt in that game. Cause that's what, that's ultimately what broke open the game last season, uh, last week against the Cardinals. Just a deep shot, 50 plus yards to Hyatt. And it swung the momentum. Uh, you know, Jones ran for five yards on two carries. It's the lowest rushing yardage uh, since he had four yards against the Rams in October 2021 and his fewest carries since he had one at Baltimore, uh, you know, right after Christmas 2020. What a Christmas that was. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever told that story. I don't know if I ever will tell that story. I probably have. Um, there are times where the Giants only had 10 players on the field. It's week three. What the fuck is going on? And I understand there's a lot of... Uh, it's it's tumultuous right now. There's a lot of personnel changing up. So, you know, I guess you should be a lot more worried if you had the same personnel, at least on the offensive side of the ball, and you're still having 10 people on the field. Ugh. But the fact that that's still happening is, uh, is just uh, unacceptable. And it, this is where the debate has gone now, where it's like fans are arguing with, uh, you know, themselves about is it the talent or is it the coaching? And I got to say, it's probably a little bit of both, but if it's more on more, more on one thing than the other, I'm going to lean towards not talent per se, but the Giants team, majority of that roster, not given a single solitary flying fuck. I don't think this, I don't think a lot of these guys care. It, it, and if they do, they're not showing it on the field. They're not playing like it. Um, it, I mean, sleepwalking, like, you know, I think someone, maybe Pat Leonard asked about the slow starts today to Brian Dable, asked him, like, what's a, the slow starts? Like, how do you, what are you doing to address that? And he's like, yeah, yeah, we got to come out quicker. And it's just like this standard Pat answer that he always gives. It's like, no, for real, dog, what are you going to do? <laughs> Like you're going to give, I know, I know it's, he said it's a week by week league. Okay. You don't want to get too high. I don't want to get low. Okay. At the same time, it's one thing, like the other thing that people are saying is, so the, the, the coaches are dialing up schemes. The players are not executing it. So there's sometimes where the schemes are like, really, why are we doing that? Why, why, why are we not running with Daniel Jones? Why are we not taking a deep shot, et cetera, et cetera. But then, you know, third and 13, third and 15, you know, we'll get into the defensive side of things, but the players just not executing. And I don't think that the players care. I really don't. And the other argument is that, well, we expected the Giants to be one and two. I think a lot of people had the Giants at one and two after three weeks. And it's like, yes, but we also expected us to put up a fight against Dallas and make it close, make it competitive, and uh, have it be. You know, there's no such thing as moral victories, but like have it be kind of a motivational loss 
in a lot of ways. And we expect it to close, you know, close the gap is the, the phrase of the week. Close the gap, close the gap, close the gap with the Niners. Like, no, we're not expecting to beat them, but we thought we would uh, at least show that we belong in the same league as them. <laughs> and, and, and then getting like having the, the, the biggest comeback in 70 plus years to beat a team that's widely considered to be like basement dwellers. I know it's the same record, one and two, <laughs> but you got to see the difference there. One is inspirational and hopeful. The other is like, no, I think this is the team. Like, unless someone, unless multiple players decide to to pick it up, pick up the slack and give a shit, this is the team you got. And this is the, this is the kind of play you can expect. Shane Lemieux is awful. He allowed five pressures in a sack. I've never seen an offensive lineman get beat quicker, faster, harder, stronger than he did. Like not even close to even slowing down the defensive lineman he's going against. I mean, literally blowing right through him. And then there's Paris Campbell, who ranks third on the team with 16 targets, but uh, has 11 catches for 47 yards. That's like less than five yards catch. And uh, 1.4 yards after the catch. So, um, and maybe that's because he's new and Daniel Jones is still building a rapport for him. But again, I say to you, what the fuck was training camp for? What was training camp? Why even have training camp? Uh, anyway, on the defensive side of the ball, we blitzed, uh, we sent extra rushers on Brock Purdy on 33 of 39 dropbacks. <laughs> 84.6% blitz rate is the highest ever recorded by next-gen stats. And I do not disagree with that at all. I am not blaming that on us losing this game. I think that probably kept us in the game longer than we would have hoped for. So I am completely fine with, with sending the house on 85% of the, 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 the passes. Um What's sad though is that only two sacks and no takeaways. Mm, mm, mm. 49ers converted seven of 10 third downs in the first half. It was like anytime they get a third down, there was a point where it's just like, well, this is all right. Um, yeah, we're just never going to, we're just never going to stop them on third down. They gained 215 of the 310 passing yards after the catch. So Paris Campbell, take up your notebook. Maybe jot down some notes on how to do that, because it was uh, it was uh, I mean Debo Samuel, George Kittle, and Christian McCaffrey, the holy trifecta. I don't know how you stop that, and uh, I know Eagles fans are gonna leave all kinds of shitty comments on this video on this pod. Uh, the Eagles would have lost the Niners if Brock Purdy was healthy. In the NFC Championship, it's that simple. The Eagles would have lost. The Niners would have won, for sure. I mean, the, 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 the Niners were playing without a quarterback for the majority of that game. Um, So I, I think they are my favorite to go to the Super Bowl out of the NFC, barring anything crazy happening. Um, Our red zone defense was good, I guess. Niners only scored touchdowns on two of their uh, five drives inside the 20, so that was good, I guess. Um, but there, there, there were at least two or three of those scores, 49er scores that probably shouldn't have happened. 
Deontay Banks dropping an interception, Odori Jackson dropping an interception, failure to capitalize on another tip ball that the Niners actually caught and took for a first down. So that kind of shit, uh, you don't win games like that. When you have the opportunity to take the ball away, you got to take the ball away. Um, I'm pretty sure we have zero takeaways on the season. Yeah, we have not recorded a takeaway for the third consecutive game. <sighs> I guess one of the bright spots, Micah McFadden had a team high 10 tackles, four tackles for loss, and an impressive pass breakup on a wheel route to Christian McCaffrey at the goal line. There was one play where he met Christian McCaffrey in the hole, didn't get juked, and and wrapped him up and took him down. So uh, we were calling for his head and saying he should be benched, you know, after the Arizona game. And it looks like maybe he solidified his position there at inside linebacker with that game. Uh, 16 missed tackles. Dear God. And, I mean, not even like – and that's what's, I guess, most – concerning alarming and depressing about the season so far is that our tackling is just shitty just atrocious i mean trey hawkins i've never seen a grown nfl professional quarterback do what he did <laughs> i forget who was running the ball it might have been elijah mitchell it was not mccaffrey he's running towards the outside um trey hawkins playing outside contain and he just kind of runs up and just kind of it's almost like he was doing a slip and slide like we like I'm gonna slide into your feet and you're gonna fall over. <laughs> um, one of the worst tackling performances I've ever seen. Uh, no one could bring down Kittle. No one could bring down Samuel. We could barely bring down McCaffrey. Uh, Xavier McKinney is playing soft. It's just like just a bunch of guys playing soft, which is exactly what I said after the we lost to the Eagles in the divisional round. Was like we're not playing fast and hard and loose. We're playing soft. And it ki- continues to kill us. You know, there was a, and this could be an issue of perspective. Um, so McFadden was the first def- Giants defender with four tackles for a loss in a game since Justin Tuck had four against Washington in 2013. Um, his tackle for loss total is the highest by any NFL player this season. So that's you know, something to hang your hat on. Good on you, Mike, Micah McFadden. Um, but, the 441 yards are the most allowed by the Giants since Jacksonville gained 452 in a Giants win on October 23rd, 2022. Again, that was a game that they could have very easily lost at the end. Um, and, you know, the, the defense, I think, is most upsetting because the offense is the offense. Guys getting hurt right from the jump. I mean, Andrew Thomas was not himself after that first drive. Uh, losing guys to injury on the offensive line, losing Barkley to injury. Um, you know, it, it's just a, a goddamn mess with the offense. You at least thought the defense would step it up and be something to, to respectful, to to be respected, and, and they're just not. This is a instance where uh, I, it's one person's point of view, but I think it's important to note. DJ Davidson looked like he had a pretty serious elbow injury. It was happened because of a cheap shot delivered by one of the 49ers linemen, I think. Um. Kayvon, both Kayvon, the, this reporter says that Kayvon Thibodeau and Bobby O'Karake were standing nearby and appeared to witness the cheap shot on DJ Davidson, but never reacted. Neither player reacted. So he said maybe they didn't recognize what had happened in real time, but the Giants have not shown much fire defending their teammates this season. 
Another example was Daniel Jones took a late hit from Jaron Curse in the Dallas game on a slide on the second play of the season opener. Um, and not one offensive lineman got in the safety's face. And this reporter, I think it's Dan Duggan, said that the Giants, and I know people have issues with Dan Duggan, I get it, but it's like something, you, it's, it's noticeable. Anyway, he finished out the article by saying the Giants have plenty of problems to address, but demonstrating more fight should be fixed immediately, and I can't agree more. It's just, it's sad. You know, like even Kayvon's sack, it's his first sack of the season. It was the team's first sack of the season, week three. Oh, my God. Um, the only reason he got, it was a coverage sack. Like Brock Purdy was back there. He's looking, he's looking, he's looking, he's looking. It's not like Kayvon got, got around the corner, strip sack, you know, uh, just a, a phenomenal physical feat. It, literally, Brock Purdy just couldn't find an open guy. And so Kayvon, who like was nowhere near Brock Purdy for the majority of that play, finally, you know, sees the offensive lineman forgot about him and then goes and, and sacks Brock Purdy. And then he has a celebration. And that celebration was so goddamn lame. And it's just like, A, I know this is old boomer white guy take. Why are you celebrating? What what did you do on that play other than what like any player in the league could have done or should have done? Any other player in the league. You're celebrating that? Cool. Uh, and it was also just a lame celebration. It was just like, I don't even know what you're, I don't know what that is. You're a robot? Okay, cool. Um, and so that's, you know, there the, he's got his defenders. You know, I see it on Twitter. Like the Giants defense is more than one man. Yes, it is. It's 11 guys. I get that. You need other people to step up. Leonard Williams, I guess, stepped up against the Niners. He had his best game thus far in the season. Dexter Lawrence is Dexter Lawrence. He's always playing well. Um, but the, you know, we, I praised the secondary. I said they probably are their strongest unit, but then they can't tackle <laughs> worth a damn, especially in the run game coming up and stopping the run. So, you know, there, but he, there's with Kayvon, it's just like the knock on him has been this season that is he trying? <laughs> like, is, are you seeing maximum effort from Kayvon Thibodeau through three weeks? And the answer is a lot of people would say no. But they're like, why are you putting so much stress and and uh, focus on Kayvon? The defense is more than one guy. The dude's a top 10 pick. There's just a different, and we said this before, there's a different expectation when you're a top 10 pick. You need to perform like a top 10 pick. You see what Micah Parsons is doing. You see what a lot of other top 10, 10 picks are doing. That's the expectation. You need to be on that level. You're in year two. Time to step it up. Just like we thought Evan Neal would step it up and he hasn't. It's just like, oof, if they don't turn it around, those two picks, that is, ooh, that's going to eat away at this fan base for a long time. So that's the Niners game. Let's preview the upcoming Monday night football game against the Seattle Seahawks. New York Giants taking on Geno Smith, Pete Carroll, DK Metcalf, and Kenneth Walker the third. Uh, start time 8.15. It's going to be at MetLife, a home game. That should be nice, I guess. Uh, Giants are favored by two, which is seems wrong. I think that might be an outdated line. And the over-under is 47. Uh, Smith has thrown for more than 700 yards, four touchdowns. DK Metcalf is over 200 yards receiving a touchdown. Kenneth Walker is 200 yards rushing, four touchdowns. <sighs> I don't even know if I want to read the stats for the Giants. <laughs> Daniel Jones has like less than 600 yards passing. 
only two touchdowns. Darren Waller leads the team with 132 yards receiving, <laughs> no touchdowns, and Saquon Barkley has a little over 100 yards rushing and a touchdown. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, you know, Saquon has been upgraded from out to questionable. You know, there was a, I guess there was a slim chance that he was going to suit up against the Niners, which would have been the biggest of mistakes. And I don't even know if you should, now that it's been revealed that he has a high ankle sprain, I don't even know that you should really think about starting playing him in this game. But uh, it's, I don't know, I guess he's trending towards playing. I just don't think he's going to be the same old Saquon 100%. So it's like, what, I don't, you know, what's the point? Uh, last five matchups. Last year, we lost 27-13 in Seattle. That's when uh, Richie James had the two fumble punt returns fumbled. Muffed two punt returns. Scottish Hammer had himself a really shitty game. And uh, special teams was the difference there. In 2020, we won 17-12. That was, I mean, that was the epitome and definition of upset city. We didn't have Daniel Jones. We didn't have Saquon Barkley. We didn't have a lot of guys in that game. And we beat, ended up beating Russell Wilson on his home turf. I think it was Russell Wilson's... Yeah, we just figured them out. Our defense was all over the place, swarming. We, I mean, Carter Coughlin was getting sacks. It was just banana land. So that was, uh, and that's what ultimately gave us hope and thought that made us made us think that we we're going to go on a run. And uh, we finished six and ten and missed the playoffs thanks to Doug Peterson, that son of a B. October twenty seventeen, we lost twenty four to seven at home. Uh, in 20, my birthday, 2014, we lost 38, 17. That's when, uh, we were coming home from New Orleans. Oh man, New Orleans. That was such a great time. Got a couple of those yard sticks in my system and damn, I had a magic stick. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, I had to catch up and watch that on replay and it was, it was, it was uh, depressing. 38, 17, we lost in Seattle in 2014. And then the year before 2013, we got shut out at home 23, nothing. And I wrote a big article about how it's the worst shutout loss at home. <laughs> Not realizing that a mere decade later, we would have the worst blowout home loss in, uh, in 80 plus years, eclipsing that mark by a healthy margin. The all-time series is tied at 10 to 10. Um, they are the Seahawks are fourth in points scored per game. We are 31st. We're averaging a little over 14 points a game. <laughs> they uh Seattle's defense kind of stinks. They've allowed 20, they're 29th in the league in points allowed per game. We're also 30th allowed in points per game, uh points allowed per game. They're plus two in the takeaway differential, which is ninth in the league. We are minus five, which is 29th. Um, they're 13th in passing yards per game, 16th in rushing yards per game. We are 28th and 25th, respectively. It's just fucking ugly, dude. Statistically, I don't even know. Like, wait, I don't know. Like, when is, it, when is the season going to start? Defensive passing yards allowed per game. They're 31st. Defensive rushing yards allowed per game. They're 6th. We're 18th and 29th, respectively. So expect them to run the ball down our throats with uh, Kenneth Walker the third, And then maybe, I this is not how we win ballgames, but I guess unleash the beast that is Daniel Jones and just have him throw and chuck and heave and toss until his heart's content. And maybe the passing game will have a little bit of a breakout game. Um, just don't completely abandon the run, you know? 
It's like when I say let Danny dime, I don't mean like don't run the ball at all. <laughs> don't be so one-dimensional. Um, this is the injury report from last week. It hasn't been released for this week yet, but you have to figure you're, you're probably getting Barkley back, probably getting Ben Bredersen back. I don't think you're going to get Ojolari back. I don't want to rush back Andrew Thomas if it's still any chance that he could tweak or pull that thing. Uh, Michael McFadden should play. Wandale Robinson should play. Now, the, the injury report for the Seahawks in week three was extensive. They had like 20 guys on their on their uh, injury report. Now, this is from week three, but um, like Jamal Adams, Julian Love, DK Metcalf, Jaron Reed, they were all listed as questionable heading into to last week's game, uh, which they won in style of the Lions. They just happen. They just have the Lions number. I don't know what it is. So uh, don't know if this injury report is going to be as lengthy as it was last week, but maybe there's some little injuries nipping at their buds. You know, maybe they come out flat. I don't know. You know, uh, there are some people who still think the Giants can win nine games. I had them winning more than seven and a half games. I put a bet on it. Before that, the Dallas debacle and uh, the 49er fiasco. <sighs> but if they do win nine games, do they make the playoffs? Maybe. How do they win nine games? <laughs> I think that's the big question here. So I don't, I, if I had to guess, I'd say, you know, with, even if you do get Thomas and Barkley back, they're probably going to be skittish. They're not going to be 100%, and I just don't see us. Maybe I'd like to think that we'll keep it closer than we did against San Francisco and Dallas. I'd like to think that, and I, I believe we could make it closer. could be a little bit of a barn burner situation. Um, I just don't think we'll most likely come out on top. And then we have Miami and Buffalo. So you're looking at a 1-5 in five start, potentially, because we're going – it's at Miami, at Buffalo, woof, and also woof. Uh, Miami just put up 70 on the Broncos, who a lot of people thought had a good defense heading into the season. They had a fun, an amazing top five defense last year, just didn't have an offense. Uh, I cringe when I think about that Miami offense, fully operational, like facing our Giants defense. And then uh, Buffalo scorched the Commanders 37-3. So, and they looked really good against the the Vegas Raiders the week before. So, I yeah, I have us start going one and five, <laughs> but you could still get the nine wins. You beat Washington twice, which I don't think we have. It's it's going to be a challenge. I'm not going to say it's going to be that's like immediately punch your tickets for that one, but uh, that's how we get the nine wins. We got to beat the Commanders twice. You gotta beat the Packers, the Patriots, the Raiders. You figure the Ra like of those three, the Raiders will give us the least challenge possibly. Um, and you think maybe the and the Patriots could the Patriots are not that far off from being three and zero as well. Came down the wire against the Eagles. If the guy gets his toe in, who knows? They could have pulled the upset there. And then uh, who else did they lose to? Very close towards the end, Miami. It was Miami. So, and they have a, a stout defense. 
really good defense. Their offense just needs to get together. Um, and then the Packers, who smoked the Bears, but then lost the Falcons and needed uh, you know, Derek Carr to get injured and uh, a huge fourth quarter comeback to beat the Saints by one. After the Saints, I think, missed a kick. So, you know, hard to put my thumb on the Packers, but I would say the Patriots actually give us the hardest time of those three. So Washington twice. Packers, Patriots, Raiders. So that's we're at five more wins, six total. I need three more wins. It's going to come against either the the Rams, Jets, and who is the other team? Saints. Rams, Saints, Packers, Patriots, Jets, Commanders twice. And that's how, that's your roadmap to nine wins. Ain't no way we're beating the Eagles even once. <laughs> I, Maybe that final game of the year. I mean, they might have the the fucking division and the number one seed like sewn up by Christmas time. In which case, then maybe they do. Would they honestly sit their starters for three weeks straight? <laughs> uh, so maybe you can hope that they'll sit their stars again, and we need to win to get in. You know, not what happened last year where we didn't play anyone. Uh, Saints. I don't know what the update is on Derek Carr's injury, but. Um, they, they too have a really great defense, so we'll probably struggle against them. I'm not saying these are easy wins. I'm just saying those are our best shots at wins, <laughs> our best chances at wins, because we're not beating the Eagles twice. We're not going to beat the Cowboys, uh, or the Dolphins or the Bills. So it'll be an interesting second half of the season. If, if the, if the players, the coaching staff, the organization, like, we need to see for them not to completely fall apart and just give up after one and five. Cause I think a lot of players might have the tendency to give up. If you come out, battle the Seahawks, but lose battle, the dolphins battle, the bills, and you lose these three games, next three games by a score or less, like, you know, seven or less points. I honestly think that can, the coaching staff can use that and build off of that. The team can build off of that and put together a run in the second half. Now you come out, you get, you lose the Seahawks by more than a score. The dolphins by multiple scores, the bills by multiple scores. I think a lot of people are phoning it in and mailing it in at that point, faxing in, beeping it in. So that's the giants. And that's the preview of the Seattle Seahawks game. We'll finish out the pod by talking about the Mets. As I mentioned in the intro, the Metros have been officially eliminated. Uh, they were swept in four by the Phillies. I didn't watch three of the four games. I think pretty much after we lost that first game, maybe that second game, uh, I was like, all right. Well, there there goes our hope. There goes uh, our shot. Um, we're at 71 and 85. We'll post our f- worst full season record since 2017 which was six years ago, 2017, was a, just an all-around piss-poor year for both my New York football giants and New York baseball Mets. One of the worst years in New York sports history, I think. I'm not wrong. Um, Marlins rebounded from their series loss. The Mets take two of three from the first-place Brewers to stay connected in the wild-card race at 81-75. and 75. They're just a game behind the Cubs for the final wild-card. And boy, oh boy. And I know a lot of, not a lot of people are enthusiastic or excited about this, but the fact that we could spoil that would be pretty sweet justice, swift poetic justice. Of course, it wouldn't have the same oomph as what happened in 2007, but uh, that would be nice. 
and I know there are not a ton of Marlins fans, but just just as a whole, as a general, it'd be nice to stick it to the Marlins franchise because <laughs> they've been such a goddamn thorner in our side for so long. That's a, that that I know it's not going to mean a lot, but it'll mean a little. And then um, we finish out with the Phillies at home, so we got it's a it's a long ass home stand to end the season, and uh, you know I know it doesn't matter, it doesn't mean anything, but to win out and sweep those two teams would be kind of cool. Probably not going to happen, but it would be kind of cool. Um, yeah, I mean, but one of the most disappointing. I feel like I've I'm on repeat. I feel like a broken record at this point. I keep saying one of the most disappointing seasons, like 2022 was a disappointing season you win 101 games you don't win the division you get uh eliminated in the in the first round in wild card like that's disappointing especially after the kind of like we played of the what six five or six months that are in a regular season we played five and a half great months of baseball <laughs> like uh, um but there, there's, there are a lot of reasons, you know, as, as players have mentioned in interviews, there's no one reason why we're in this place. There's all a litany of reasons. Um, but when you're looking ahead to 2024, you have some pieces that you can feel good about. You know, I know that uh, Lindor wasn't producing when we needed him to in May and June. You could say the same about Alonzo coming back too quickly from the wrist injury. McNeil going from batting champion to batting champion. Oh, shit. And then, uh, you know, those three, not having them being as consistently productive as they were last season really, really hurt us. But that that's our core. Lindor, Alonzo, McNeil, Nimmo, that's our core. Core four. Hate to borrow a Yankees term, but that real, those are really the four players that we have locked up or that we'd like to have locked up long term, that we feel the the best about, that are are essentially the the core of the team, the, the 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 spinal cord of the team, the 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 meat, the bulk, skeleton. That's what the that they they are holding up the structure, the foundation there. So uh, I I haven't lost. I I think I of those four, I've lost the most faith in McNeil. I know he's finished strong, but it's just like, dude, you need to like get a little little more consistent, please. Just a little more consistent. Um, you gotta feel good about Kodai Senga. He hasn't allowed more than three runs in a game since June. He lowered his walk rate from 14.3% of batters in his first dozen starts to 8.6% since. So I think he's really found a groove. You know, the big question that everyone's asking about him is like, do we continue with this extra day of rest strategy plan? Or can we just do like the Americans do and he'll start every fifth day? Can we do that? I'd like to see them try, you know, because I don't think we're going to find enough answers in the starting rotation to make up for that lost day. So I'm uh, pretty pleased with Cherry on top. Let's just try it out, you know. Uh, Francisco Alvarez, another bright spot. 23 home runs, most by Mets catcher since Piazza. One of four players this season to hit multiple game-tying home runs in the ninth inning, and he ranks fourth among all catchers in runs saved by framing, which was – you know, we we kind of had a suspicion about the offense, right? His, his ability to slug, 
But, uh, you know, after watching him last year and then the beginning of this year, it was like, defensively, is he just lazy? What's going on? And so for, for him to really step up that part of his game was good to see. Um, you know, kind of fell, not off a cliff, but he, re- he was scorching hot in July and then kind of came back down to earth in August and is, uh, you know, holding his own in September. Ronnie Mauricio is probably the guy I'm most excited about. September call-up, people were begging and beckoning for him to come up during the season uh, when Brett Beatty was struggling, when Escobar was struggling. Um, you know, it's just uh, we were itching and scratching to get this guy up at the major league level, and he has not disappointed not one damn bit. And it's not a situation where he has, like, that big first hit and, and, and it's magical and, and it's memorable and then just nothing. Um, he didn't peter out. Maybe he evened out a little bit. But, uh, you know, guy who hits the tar off the ball, just the, the, the bust some seams up to this bitch. And defensively, you know, they played him at 30, though he's ne- like never really played there before. And he, he looked shaky defensively, not great. But he's historically a shortstop slash second baseman. So um, the big question around him, will they find a position for him? Where do they play him next year? I would be super steamed if they don't have him on the the 40-man roster, the active roster, from day one, opening day. If he's not an opening day starter next season, I don't know. So and maybe it's the fact that they if you know if he can't play at third, then does he become a trade candidate? You know, Brett Beatty and Mark Viento, so the other two uh baby Mets. I hate saying that, but baby Mets that showed some flashes this year. Um, Beatty off to a hot start and cooled off real bad. Vientos never really got on track until September-ish, really. Um, but defensively, still not that a guy that you'd want out in the field. But at least offensively, maybe that's the DH you're looking for. You know, he's starting to actually launch the ball and uh, hitting a bunch of ding-dongs. So um, you'd have to think that to get to where we're going ahead of schedule, because I don't, I don't believe Epler and uh, Cohen when they say, oh, well, 20, 2025 and 2026. Those are the years we're going to seriously contend. It's like, that's a smokescreen. I, I honestly think... He, there's no, I don't can't see them sitting on their hands on 2024. They just can't. And so I think that's why um, we're not going to be as the fact that we got, we did, we did what we did and sold at the trade deadline, got so many prospects back, allows Epler and now David Stearns, who we'll get to, to wheel and deal these guys that are, for the most part, major league ready, just not here because either there's no position for them or they're just a liability on defense. So I think he could probably, we can dangle Beatty and or Vientos to get someone in the mix to to fill out this roster. Ultimately, though, you can see uh, that when the offense is cooking, man, it is good. It is good cooking. It is tasty. And when when they're not, um, you know, and that's, I, I guess there just weren't, weren't enough bats. Whereas last year, you know, I think the differences are if Alonzo, Lindor, McNeil, and Nimmo were cold, Canna's stepping up. Marte's stepping up. 
someone Escobar is stepping up. Someone else is stepping up and 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 filling the the need to produce. So that just didn't happen this year. If Lindor, Alonzo, McNeil, and Nimmo are cold, there was like no one else pretty much that was able to step up. You know, Canna ever since getting traded to the Brewers is like on a tear and putting up some really amazing numbers. It's like, well, if he put up those numbers with the Mets, we we wouldn't be in the situation we're in probably. Um, but that's not to put the 100% of the blame on him. You know, we'll get to it, uh, I guess, right now. So The Athletic put out an article called How the $445 Million Mets, the Most Expensive Team in Major League History, Crashed and Burned. And so that made the rounds, caused some waves. Um, and I mean, th- th- you know, a lot of quotes from the players that are, some of which were a little surprising, but then you see where we are in terms of like our record, where we're finishing. Um, and you can kind of, it, it makes sense now with, with these quotes. Uh, June was one of the worst months in franchise history. We lost 14 and a half games in the NL East standing to Atlanta. Oh my God. <laughs> Tommy Pham was kind of uh, the one identified player who really uh, spoke out about what he thought the concerns were and what the issues were with the team. Um, he's known for bringing an edge. He has a strong work ethic and little tolerance for lackadaisical effort. And so uh, he was not too fond of how the Mets approached even things like batting practice, you know? Um, and so he eventually told Francisco Lindor, out of all the teams I played on, this is the least hardest working group of position players I have ever played with. Tommy Pham's 35. He's played with the Cardinals. He's been around the league. That's pretty damning statement. I don't know, you know, and I, I'd have to agree with that because it seemed like they were taking... You know, and I, I mean, if you had watched and listened to a lot of the podcasts before where I talk about the Mets and when we were going through the worst of the worst in May and June and a lot of losing streaks, a lot of bad baseball, I was just saying, it's just, it's a matter of time. It's just, this, this is our bad section, our rough patch. It's really bad right now, but this is not the season. Like, this is not how they play. They're going to play for the rest of the season. Of course, they they pretty much did. <laughs> but um, it feels like the players took that same kind of approach and, like, didn't have – either didn't have a sense of urgency, like, oh, we'll figure it out. Nah, it's, it's a little bit of it's, – it's just a nasty stretch. Um, we'll pull out of it. It's fine. You know, either, like – the dog wearing the hat with the coffee mug in the burning room meme. Like it's fine. Or as Pete Alonzo did, which was just blame himself and like really be so negative toward himself and blaming himself for all the woes offensively. It's like one of those two things, you know? Um, you know, after Fam got traded to the Diamondbacks, Lindor said to Fam, "Hey man, thank you for teaching me how to how to work hard again." That's I don't want to hear that. You know, I mean, who knows if it's true? Some people question the sanity of Tommy Fam. I'm not, but uh, if that is true, woof, dude. That's that's not what you want to hear from a guy who's pretty much your captain or has been like unofficially 
you know, given the title of captain, Francisco Lindor. I mean, he has the biggest, most expensive contract on the team. And so I think that means that means a lot to the team because they look up to you because they were like, wow, for uh, someone to put that kind of investment into a person, you must be pretty important. You must be pretty valuable. So um, as much as uh, maybe... Lindor doesn't think he's a leader or maybe he's trying to be a leader. That's not a great quote. Teach me how to, how to work hard again. What are we doing? We just, uh, I mean, literally, I think maybe the team was so high on their own supply that they figured they could coast. Like it just, it just come to them. Like it came to them last season in terms of like the good fortune bounces going their way. I don't know. You know, there's a question in the article, which is a pretty interesting question. Has any group regressed this much from one year to the next? Pretty much, uh, you know, with the exception of a few positions, the same group of players from last season and pretty much to a player, almost all of them underperformed below their like career averages. Um, and I know you, we no excuses play like a champion. I get it. But there are you can't overlook the significance of the injuries. I thought that we could get away with um, not having Edwin Diaz for pretty much the entire season. When he got hurt, I was, I was bummed. I was devastated. I was like, that's so Mets. Of course that would happen. Of course we'd be celebrating the WBC. Of course. But I still thought this, I didn't, I wasn't like willing to throw the towel in and be like, Oh, the season's over before it's even gotten started. You know, I, I didn't say, I'd said, we're probably not going to win a hundred games. We'll be lucky to win 90 games, but we're still a playoff team. So if you have Diaz last year, his war was 3.2. It's three wins. Jose Quintana, you lost him for most of the season to a bone graft surgery. He's worth a win or two. Starling Marte was not healthy. And so it's not the Starling Marte that we knew and loved last year um, when he had a 3.8 war. Justin Verlander had a 5.7 war last season. And his average war per season for his career is around four. And he ended up having maybe the worst season he's had since being traded from Detroit to Houston in 2017. No, because he was a Cy Young finalist that year. He finished fifth, but maybe go, dating back to 2014 with Detroit. Max Scherzer had a five plus, more than a five war uh, last season and an almost a five war per season over the duration of his 16 year career. And he's had maybe his worst season since 2011 in Detroit. So we're talking about like historically bad <laughs> season performances from guys that don't normally do that. It's an, ano it's an anomaly because if Diaz doesn't get hurt, if Quintana doesn't need surgery, if Marte doesn't need double groin surgery, because I don't know, he's just uh, humping and pumping a little bit too hard over there. Uh, if Verlander performs up to what the, his uh, career average is, if Max Scherzer performs his career average, we're not in this position. I mean, you're looking at three, four, five, eight, nine, 13, 17. You're looking at... At least 10 more wins. If the, just those one, two, three, four, five guys are healthy and playing average baseball for them, 
you're looking at 10 more wins. And right now we're, we are the Marlins. We're 81 and something, and we're, you know, a game behind the wild card, which yes, it's not where we would, we never, we didn't think we would be scratching it out for a playoff spot, but I'll for sure take playoffs over no playoffs. The funniest part of this article though, was, uh, <laughs> the, I guess when you get traded, it's like, once you're informed, it's things are in motion, like set in motion instantly. Like there's no waiting around. There's no, let me just finish this. Like you got to go, I guess, that moment. So uh, when Mark Canna was traded to the Brewers, uh, he, he said, I didn't get to finish Oppenheimer that day. <laughs> so he's like, I guess, pulled out of a movie theater so that he could go win games for the the brew crew, which uh, I guess if I have to pick a team in the National League to root for in the world to and root in the playoffs postseason, it's the Brewers, and in large part due to Mark Hanna, uh, who's just a really likable guy. Um, and then the American League uh, Orioles. So if it was Orioles Brewers as a World Series, I'd be most happy. So. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the worst team that money can buy. Um, different dynamic in terms of the clubhouse. You know, that 92 clubhouse was a lot a lot of troublemakers and like just like really not great behavior. This one, it just felt like, again, no fight. Hardly any spirit, any enthusiasm, any like, you know, it just... They felt flat, you know. We were just we we just were waiting and waiting and waiting for them to become the team that they were last season, and it never happened. It was like uh, almost the complete opposite. Like they're probably not probably not the same amount of situations, but in those situations, last year we would have won them because someone comes through the clutch hit or clutch grab, throw, blah blah blah, play. No one was doing that this season. You know, I think if you look at the run scoring opportunities in close games, uh, you know, unless it was Francisco Alvarez or P. Alonzo, you know, it seemed like we just, and even when we did, see, this is the other thing. Even when we did come through offensively in the clutch, our bullpen was simply detestable. <laughs> it was just so bad. I mean, when you have a quote from Ottavino that's like, he would often say to Robertson, we just need to hang in there and then the trumpets will come back one day. It's like, oh my God, this is so sad. Oh, we just need to hang in there. Uh, so, um, yeah, and I have to go back to if at the deadline we were 500, we're not selling. I don't think. I think if we're at 500, we're not selling. And then that goes back to, you know, the game, the series against Detroit. And uh, the series against the Rockies. It really is those two series, two series that you should have won. If you win those two series, you're probably 500 at the deadline. You probably don't sell off. Maybe people, uh, like it looks like some of those players that we dealt are were, were got back to normal or were or playing uh, decent baseball. I don't know. I still feel like we, maybe we would have missed the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So, yeah, that's the, that's the athletic article. 
Uh, and then we'll finish it out with um, David Stearns was hired as the president of baseball operations for the New York Mets. Um, the Athletic took a look at his track record over the seven seasons um, with the with the Brew Crew with the Milwaukee Brewers. They looked at his best moves and his worst moves, and to see what that would tell us about how he operates. Um, uh, one of his best moves was trading for Christian Yelich. In January 2018, he gave up Monty Harrison, Jordan Yamamoto, Lewis Brinson, and Isan Diaz. Um, according to Fangraphs, he gave up minus six wins above replacement, received 19.3 war, so which is a plus of plus 25 war in that trade. Milwaukee came within one win of the its first National League pennant in 2018. Um, and you know, friggin' Yelich was like the one of the best players, if not the best player in baseball in 2018 and 2019. So um, hell of a deal. In December 2015, he traded Adam Lind to Seattle for Carlos Herrera, Freddie Peralta, and Daniel Misaki. He gave up 0.1 war and received almost a 12 war for a plus 12 war. In January 2018, he signed Lorenzo Kane to a five-year $80 million contract. Kane was, I guess, 32 at the at the age of signing, which is legitimately scares me. I don't know if I like that, but uh he uh ended up having an 8.5 war, finished seventh in MVP voting with a 119 OPS plus and and uh in 2019 he won a gold glove award. So I don't know if I would have pulled that trigger. And you'll see he he actually had another signing that did not go as well for center field. In December 2016, he traded Tyler Thornburg to Boston for Josh Pennington, Mauricio Dubon, and Travis Shaw, giving up minus 0.4 war and receiving 7.3 war for a plus 7.7 war. Uh, Shaw hit 31 home runs and drove in 101 runs in 2017 and a 32 home run season in 2018. In May 2021, Stearns traded J.P. Fierreisen and Drew Rasmussen to the to the Rays for Willie Adamas and Trevor Richards. He gave up 6.8 WAR and received 10.6 WAR for a plus 3.8 WAR uh, outcome. So, and uh, Adamas pretty much a, a stalwart for the Brewers ever since. Speaking the community, so what are the worst moves? You can't be perfect, right? Can't be perfect. There's going to be some hiccups, some mistakes, some missteps along the way. In July of 2022, Stearns traded Josh Hader to San Diego for Taylor Rogers, Robert Gasser, Estuary Ruiz, and Danielson Lemet. He gave up 1.8 war and received minus 0.3 war for a minus 2.1 uh, war outcome. Um, yeah, that's a weird... Uh, yeah, I guess... Well, they said that uh, Gasser could pan out. Pretty decent prospect, I guess. In July 2018, he he traded Jonathan Villar, VR, Louis Ortiz, and Giancarlos Carmano, Carma, Carmona to Baltimore for Jonathan Shoup, who literally was on the 1989 Cleveland Indians that beat the Yankees in the playoffs in a movie called Major League. <laughs> Wasn't that Shoup? Wasn't Shoup one of the pitchers? He was like the lefty. Um. Stearns gave up 5.3 war, received zero war for a plus minus, uh, minus 5.3 war. 
Uh, and then finally, he traded Will Smith, that Chris Rock slapping son of a gun, to the the Giants of San Francisco for Phil Bickford and Andrew Suzak. And we are all too familiar with Phil Bickford. <laughs> In that deal, he gave up 3.8 war, received minus 0.3 war for minus 4.1 war. So he's not without fault, David Stearns. But you'd have to imagine that the combo of Stearns and Epler should produce, I mean, you, yes or no, do you have more faith and confidence in our offseason with Stearns on board or without? So I think, you know, that's a good combo to have, Stearns and Epler. And uh, we can say what we will about Epler. I vehemently against, I cannot say it enough, vehemently against signing Verlander and Scherzer. But the Marte, Kenna, and Escobar signings were well-received when it happened. Uh, I think people weren't as high on Escobar as the 2022 season panned out, but he did come up big with a huge September. And so everyone thought, wow, those are three solid additions. Those are considered wins, right? And then, you know, he trades he trades two of the three. <laughs> Uh, you know, a season later, trade. I mean, we trade Verlander half a season, Scherzer one and a half season. So it's like, um, kind of hitting the reset button. And uh, I, I, I hope they just don't go for the big splashy names anymore. I just, you know, I was talking about bringing Juan Soto in, and I'm just like, can we just take a look at the Padres for a second and like the amount of money they've invested and how like they're now there's word saying that they're going to lose Juan Soto. They're going to lose Manny Machado. Uh, they're not going to lose them. They're just not going to, they're going to look to deal them because they want to get the salary cap under 200 million or something like that. I don't know. They're looking to shed salary. And so that, that, you know, it's, it's fucking nuts that, you know, Machado signed a huge contract. They all signed like big contracts and it's just didn't pan out. So it's like, I'd rather just pick up solid dudes. That makes sense. Like guys that are not going to really wow you on paper. Maybe they're not even like, you know, they're not the top of their position, but they're just solid dudes. Show up to the ballpark, put in the work, Give us average numbers. <laughs> like, that's all we're looking for. We're just looking for guys that can round out the lineup. Um, you know, I mean, yes, you you probably want to get a DH, although if Vientos can, I don't know. I don't know if you want to put all your eggs in the Vientos basket. I wouldn't personally. I would just get a, like, a legitimate DH. Um, it's really going to be the rotation of the bullpen. You know, we're just, we need a shit ton of arms. So, Maybe that is why they're like, we can do what we can do. We can do as much as we can do. We'll try. But 2024 is probably not in the cards for us <laughs> just because they have they, so many glaring holes and so many needs in that bullpen and, and the rotation. You know, I don't think you can feel too confident. I mean, it's nice what Peterson and McGill have put together for us over the last month or so. I, you can't count on them. I wouldn't count on them. It's like, yeah, you're on the roster, but like you're not in the starting rotation. I, I mean, that was pretty much the idea before this season got started. And then of course Verlander gets hurt and then Scherzer get hurt. Ugh. So 
but it's good to have him on board. And um, it's sneaky though, because it's like we can only fill so many positions in the off season, and then if we can just hang around at the deadline, maybe some other guys come through at the deadline. You know, I mean, I think that's essentially what happened in 2015. It's just like we hung around long enough to say, hey, we got a shot here and not like, I mean, there are some other seasons where it's like we thought we had a shot and we go all in and backfires. I mean, 2021 with Javi Baez, um, was it 2016 with Jay Bruce? But that that is very plausible in my mind. So uh, I guess once the season's over, we can do an official moratorium, but I don't, I mean, you get it. We've pretty much beaten a dead horse. <laughs> this is like nothing left. It's a pope. It's a pope, y'all. So with that, I want to thank you for listening and for watching. And we'll talk to you next time. Big weekend ahead. My 25th year high school reunion. 25 year reunion for high school on Saturday. It's it's. Oh. Well, I, I don't have access to Adderall, so that's a good thing. Because that's what derailed my la the last reunion at the twentieth reunion was that friggin' Adderall. So uh, we're gonna. I, I need to make it to the after party. Okay, that's all. Just make it to the after party. And there's and and the goal is the after party to the after party. That would be the goal. All right, that's enough. Adios, muchachos.